What's an A player? It's someone who possesses the attitude of curiosity, connection, and total commitment to the vision. This is a segment of the Naked Leadership Podcast where you'll get to know all the A players of our team at Take New Ground. You also get to see firsthand their brilliance, talent, and commitment as we talk in areas of their expertise. Hey all, this is Chad. Today I get to sit down with Mark Edwards, associate partner at Take New Ground. Mark has an insane history and rap sheet when it comes to finance and governance for incredible organizations. If you want to know about anything from raising money to finding board members to creating a strategic exit, Mark is your man. In this episode, Mark and I chat about the ins and outs of a board of directors. We cover topics as simple as like, what is a board of directors? To much more impactful topics like, how to assemble the best possible board for your organization. And I think most importantly, when is the right time to start assembling a board of directors for your company? It's so fun to get Mark back on the podcast. Let's go. Mark, my friend, how are you? Great. Chad, it's always good to connect with you, brother. Yes, absolutely. I'm excited to do this with you. This is our first episode of A Players Only with you. And I'm excited for the topic. I'll tell you, I am excited for our conversations in particular, because I would say out of everybody that we're bringing on for the A Players Only series, you dance in the area that I know least about. Yeah. <laughs> And so that excites me because this is all stuff that will really help me support my clients. It will also help me support the conversation on the podcast in other areas. So I just want to let you know, I really appreciate your time. It's an honor to have you. And I really appreciate all your experience and knowledge that you're going to bring to the table. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Uh, always love chatting with you. So uh, let's hope we can generate some value in the next uh, 30 minutes. Or so. that's, that's the goal. Uh, that's goal number one. So we're going to talk about formulating a, bo a board um, today. And there, you know, our listenership of founders is in, in lots of different phases of their business. Um, some of them might still be solopreneurs and some of them are running. I know some of them are running companies where they have, uh, you know, hundred employees, maybe looking at going public, maybe whatever. There's, it's just like it's all across the board. So some people will have a really deep understanding of what the function of a board is, and some will know nothing. So in that spirit, first off, what I want to talk about is just a little bit of your background, if you don't mind, that brings you to the conversation as an expert in this in this topic. Well. First off, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I, but I do have quite a bit of experience. <laughs> um, and uh, you really, my first kind of up close and personal exposure to boards was three decades ago. I was an officer of a public company. We're a NASDAQ 100 company. I was an officer of that, which has certain responsibilities, but also dealt extensively with our board uh, during that time. And they were very engaged. And I learned a lot from interfacing very regularly with public board members, both internally through acquisitions, you know, lots of activity there. And then at that time, I also went on my first private board, made an investment, went on the board of a company. I'd done nonprofit stuff before that, um, schools and churches and things like that. But the first private company board was, was three decades ago. And that was in conjunction with an investment alongside venture capitalists. And it was really interesting because I'd been an operator up until then and had reported to boards. 
but to actually go on a board was a different set of responsibilities. And then shortly thereafter that, I raised a venture fund and actually ended up going on a, more than 35 boards over the last three decades. Um, so uh, wait, how many boards do you have to be on to become an expert? That's what well, I want. I, yeah, I have no idea. I mean, <laughs> I have no idea. But 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 I have been on more than 35 boards over the years. And, and I've learned, you know, a huge amount, most of those with early stage companies. And it's really, I've understood the importance and role of the board. And it, and it has many, many fundamental roles, which, I'm, which we can unpack here in the next 30 minutes. And there's a lot, there's really a lot to talk about, you know, why, why do you have a board? How do you do a board, the mechanics? And we, we can run through as much of that and probably good if you ask me some questions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, why don't we talk about the principles first? What is the purpose of a board? Just get us really like that elementary level lesson. Right, and and let's let's you let's have the context of for-profit enterprise. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. Um, so, in the for-profit enterprise, you have three stakeholders: you have the shareholder, you have the operator, they they run the business, and then you have the board that sits between the two. Now, if you think about it, I look at it. I look at the accountability. So, we have accountability that runs from the operators, the CEO and the C-suite who run the business are accountable to the board. And then the board is accountable to the shareholder, uh, shareholders. And, and the appointment goes the other way. Shareholders appoint the board and the board actually appoints the CEO and, and usually will weigh in on the senior executives as well. So you have accountability going one way and the, uh, the appointment uh, going the other way. And the reason we do this is there can be lots of shareholders. Yeah, public companies can have thousands of shareholders. Private companies can have dozens of shareholders. And it would be too much for the operators, the CEO and the executive team, to be corralling, listening to, getting feedback from what could be dozens and dozens to thousands of shareholders. So the board sits in between the two. I view it as sort of the grease or the gasket or something. It's, it's a protective measure that sits between the operators so they can run the business and the shareholders so they can actually have an accountability from the operators for their, uh, for their equity position. Um, so that's, that's sort of basic principles 101, why, where does a board sit? And that begs a lot of questions then about, well, when do you need a board? And yeah, let's start there. When, when do you start considering a board for your organization? Well, that's a great question because often founders get boards foisted on them, meaning they don't really make that decision. It's made for them. Because so, the investors are ready for it. Well, the investors will require it. Require Anytime it. you take outside money, friends, family, and fools, um, they will, they, you know, who will just go along. But any organized or professional investor is going to require a board because they, they're going to want to have governance, and that's the main term to think about, governance implemented in the company. So anyone who's contemplating in any way in the future taking on outside investment is going to have a board put on them. So my recommendation is to get ahead of the game and be thinking about that well before you're taking any investment. So my experience was in venture capital, I was typically coming in and forming the board. And that gave me a certain amount of control and power as an investor, 
knowing that there was no board there. So, yeah, I, I had views on how to structure boards. And there is ultimately the, the, the shareholders appoint the board. And if there's no board, then the shareholders can, even minority shareholders, say venture capitalist comes as a minority shareholder, can still actually get board control by the way in which they appoint the board. So seeing as I'm now on the other side of the table and I work with founders and, you know, I'm no longer the, the, you know, the wolf on the outside, but I'm on the inside with the founders, my advice is always get in ahead of the investor, structure it right up front. Think about it when you're forming the company. If you're forming uh, a corporation or an LLC in your formation documents, be thinking about how do you want the governance to be? Because it's often left until later. It's like, oh, well, look, I'm running the company. I own the company. Yeah, I get that, that you are. At some point, you're going to want to bring governance in, not just because you're going to be forced to, but there's some other benefits around strategizing, bouncing ideas off, bringing experience you don't have to the table. There's lots of other ancillary reasons why it makes sense to have a board and we can explore some of those. But ultimately, if you're ever going to take outside money, you're going to be forced to have a board. And if you're going to be forced to have a board, then you're reacting to the professionals as opposed to they're reacting because if you've already got a board structure in your formation documents, or if not in the formation documents, ahead of when funding comes in, then the investors reacting to that and they're asking for changes or modifications. And it's like, well, why are we going to change it? We've already got it set up. Yeah. Yep. Versus uh, we don't have anything. And it's like, uh, well, okay, what are you suggesting here? Yeah. And then, <laughs> well, we'll show you how to do it then. <laughs> yeah. And then suddenly your minority investor actually has board control, which typically they're going to ask for. And, and it's really hard to push back if you have nothing there. If you have something there, you can push back and say, well, we have a board. Yeah, you can have a seat. But no, you're not going to get control of this thing. So it's it's being proactive, right? Yeah. I can imagine one of the fears for founders, especially as they start to grow and it's looking like, like they're going to bring in outside money. One of the fears that we, you and I have talked a lot about, even in previous episodes of this podcast, is the fear of loss of control. Right. And I could see how bringing on a board could, or even thinking about bringing on a board, or you might want to delay it as a founder because you're afraid that a board is going to come in and take your baby from you or make decisions inside of your, of your organization that you didn't want to make or that you didn't think were best or whatever. How do you get founders thinking about that side of it? In one word, accountability. And I think in the same way that a founder who's, I'll call him a lone ranger, really going to be successful relative to someone who, from an operations viewpoint, forms a management team, leadership team, and then has accountability to that. In the same way, this is an extension of that leadership team, just with people not operating inside the business on a day-to-day -day basis. And there's accountability. So the one word is accountability. If there's accountability in the organization, a culture of accountability, which I think there has to be to have a high performance culture, then this is an easy kind of concept because, hey, we already have accountability. We're just expanding the sphere of accountability, bringing in people who are, you know, not in the day-to-day -day business versus, well, we don't have accountability in this organization. Well, then it's coming. At some point it's coming, it's going to be imposed upon you as opposed to, hey, we recognize the value of being accountable to each other and 
in that basis, this is a very easy step to expand that sphere of accountability to bring in the governance sphere. Yeah. I, and it also like strikes me is if you assemble the right board, there's so much more possibility for you because if you're open to hearing what you're not seeing, or if you're open to understanding that you don't, not all the ideas originate from you, you can't anticipate all of the tripwires, like all of that sort of stuff. So if you actually see feedback as a benefit, a net benefit for you as a founder and for your company and for the people you employ, a board is a really powerful, it's like a superpower. Yeah, I mean, you think of it as uh, mentors. If you structure the board right, you get the right people, you're going to get experiences you don't have you're going to get networks you don't have, and you're going to get mentoring that you wouldn't otherwise get um, as a CEO. It becomes, you know, look, the CEO role is the loneliest role in the company. And other than your spouse or friends, frankly, the board is, it, it becomes your sounding board. It becomes a place you go to. The, it becomes your support mechanism. A properly constructed board is the best support a CEO can get. And that's the other part of looking at it because board members are coming in wanting to contribute, wanting to serve. They're not coming in you know, thinking, well, we've just got to implement you know, what the shareholders want from a governance viewpoint. They're really coming in, how do we support the vision? How do we support the strategy, the goals? They're really looking at how do we support that? What can we contribute to that? And, and of course, they're going to get compensated too, which is a whole nother area. Unlike your operating team, typically are going to get heavily cash with, you know, some small amount of equity. Typically, the board is going to be the other way around. They're usually going to be, and depends on the type of company and the stage of company, earlier stage companies typically more so are going to be equity-based on the board. You know, public companies can be some equity and cash. Usually expenses get reimbursed, but they are team members, right? So you're going to compensate and they're not doing this for free. Sure. Is there a standard for that or is it all negotiable? It is negotiable, but to a degree, it's getting standardized. There are, you know, in the same way that investment documents got standardized by Y Combinator, there's now fairly standard advisor, you know, board and advisory agreements Again, depends on the stage, how influenceable the, the people you're bringing in, what you're asking them to do. You know, are they coming in and they're also acting as a social media influencer, or are they are they doing something in addition to, you know, a straight governance role? So you've got to go look at each each. It's it's all it's all a negotiation um, at the end of the day. But there's going to be compensation for, for a board role. Now you will hear about advisory boards, which are non governance boards and they're typically set up with a different type structure and they don't have the fiduciary responsibility that a governance board has because there is a responsibility there is a fiduciary responsibility to shareholders well and actually technically to creditors and, and other people we think it mainly the shareholders but technically the board is responsible to creditors and other other stakeholders so compensation is something to think about but it's not the first thing to think about i mean the first thing the first thing is when you think about structuring a board, it's like, what is it we need to fulfill our vision, meet our goals, execute our strategies? Then it, it may be, I need people who've got deep, deep expertise in a particular industry, or they've got a certain, they've been there, done that. They've got a certain set of contacts that will be useful. 
or they've been through the type of operational or technology thing. I mean, I, I was on the I was a corporate officer of a semiconductor company. So we had our board was all made up of people from the semiconductor industry at one point. So our CFO had been the CFO of a large semiconductor industry, uh, semiconductor player, even though he actually went on and was the CFO of Cisco at the time. But before, but but it was his semiconductor experience before Cisco that that we that we picked him. But we were also moving in the networking space, so it was really helpful to have him. Another board member had been the CEO of a large semiconductor company. Another one had been involved in marketing of semiconductors. So, you know, our board members all came with industry experience, but different aspects, you know, marketing, operations, and finance. So that was a public board. Yeah. So when you think about, I, I'm, I'm thinking about, so think about this idea of like it's a negotiation, right? You're negotiating with the people who can come in and add value to the organization that you've created. And I'm guessing a lot of people who are in the position to be on a board, probably the monetary compensation isn't maybe, maybe isn't always the mo the biggest motivator for them to be on a board. I'm no, guessing. It, 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 when you say monetary, you mean the cash. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 it's not the, the cash is not. Most people coming on boards are not doing it for the cash. I mean, there are some people on a few people on large court, you know, public and corporate boards, they do, you know, they hold a number of board memberships and they get cash, but that's pretty rare. What we're talking about, the audience we're talking to, it's going to be equity. It's going to be equity because, you know, smaller companies are conserving their cash. They're not typically paying cash. So typically we are talking equity and usually it's going to be options or the equivalent for an LLC. So it's usually going to be some type of an option that will vest over time as they, um, spend time on the board, or it could be milestone based with, if the company achieves certain value creating milestones and then, then vesting could be there, but yeah, it's typically going to be equity. Is there anything else founders can leverage when they're negotiating, getting board members? I mean, is, is it, I, again, I'm, I'm completely such a newbie to this concept, but I, I do understand like when we're going into a negotiation, we want to understand different vested interests, right? Um, are those the only two real vested interests that founders have, or is there resume or clout or is like, what other things can you utilize as you're negotiating this to get the people that are, that are going to be meaningful to your board? Well, look at the potential board members as they have a portfolio, right? So that potential board member has a portfolio of interests. How does this board position, complement, and maybe enhance their uh, portfolio of interests. So yes, it isn't just, it's not never about the money. Look, pe people who are coming on boards come on because the founder journey, they understand the founder journey, they want to support the founder journey, and they ultimately, yeah, they want to share in, in you know, to a degree in the, in, in the value creation, but that's not the primary reason they're doing it. They're doing it because that journey itself is rewarding and whatever that company is doing fits with the overall narrative for that for that a potential board member so it's both what makes sense to the company but what makes sense to that board member too yeah so that's i mean you've brushed against some of it a little bit but i think we could be more explicit is how do you build the best board for your organization how who do you invite to be on your board and how do you make that decision? Well, f first, it's getting clear about who you as a company are. You know, what, who are we as a company? What's our vision? 
you know, what's the journey we're on? And I always look at company building as journeys, right? This is a shared journey. It's a shared journey for the operating team, for the leadership team and, and, the, and the other members of, of, the, of the company, the employees. There's a journey. So there's an enrollment into that journey. Similarly, what we're doing is we're enrolling board members into that. So, but we're also looking at what do we need to go to progress on our journey, to go down the path, what resources do we need? And some of those are hired, some of those are purchased. And in the case of the board members, we, we are hiring board. I mean, at the end of the day, we're hiring board members. It's just they're not working in the business, but we're hiring them. So there's effectively a job description. There's a set of needs that we have, just like we hire inside a company, we hire developers, we hire production people, we hire finance people, we hire sales people, marketing people, we hire people with different functions. The sim of the board should be thought about in the same way. We might want one financial person, but we don't want all financial people on the board. We might have one marketing person, we don't want all marketing people. The important thing about the board complexion is the, the variation. It's important that we have a variety of experiences and views People who will look at things differently, view things differently, also be, be, be prepared to ask stupid questions. You know, they're conf confident enough that there's no such thing as a stupid question. And that's usually more experienced people are, are pretty confident that way and, and, and self-assured and happy to, you know, ask a dumb question. Because I've seen it happen many, many times that the board can just assume things and you can ask a really stupid question and it stops everything in its tracks and finds out that, we had this assumption that's really not grounded. But to come back to selecting the board, you're really saying, where do we need to go? And therefore, what resources, experiences, expertise do we need to get us there? What connections? And that will vary on the industry we're in, the type of service or product we're providing. And usually, I, I advise people aim high. Like, uh, if you could get whoever you wanted to get. Of course, yeah. Who would you, who would you get, right? Yeah. And you you know, you think about some of the, I mean, there are some well-known people who now the, just the work because they're well-known doesn't mean they're necessarily going to be that helpful, but they, sometimes they're very helpful. Sometimes they're not so helpful, but it may make sense to go after, a, after a high profile person, in which case go after them. I mean, it is an invitation at the end of the day. It's an invitation for a conversation because we're inviting people to, Hey, we'd like to chat with you about this. We're not offering you something yet. We'd like to chat about does this make sense for you and for us? That's right. And as you're talking, Mark, I'm thinking about, I, I, I could see it be easy for a founder to get starstruck by a, a name or a character or a, comp, a, a, a you know, a rap sheet of, of accomplishments. And just like all of the conversations we've been having on this podcast about hiring, I love that you talked about it being hiring because we often want to just look for we want to look at the resume and determine a fit based off of that. And our encouragement is to get into it. Like you said, a start of a conversation about vision, commitment, all of that sort of stuff. So before you get starstruck or, or just believe somebody's a fit because of what they've done in their past or the name that they have, how do you get connected to their commitment and connection to your vision, your core values, your all, all of that? all in a conversation at the end of the day, right? Yep. I mean, there's going to be a conversation about, we're going on this journey. We want to invite you into a conversation to see if this makes sense for you and for us. Which is the benefit of doing it early. 
Yes, that's why you want to do early. Because what's going to happen is then you have some you have some possibility and some flexibility. If you wait until the investment occurs, I guarantee the investor is going to want to stack the board with their people. Now, only if they're, I would say, they have vision, would they be prepared to um, structure the board in a way that makes more sense. I'll give you an example. When I was a venture capitalist, we would typically demand and get two out of five board seats. And that would be for an equity investment in the 25 to 30 percent range, we could always get two board seats. But putting two people from the same venture capital firm on a board, there's no real value in that. There's value in one. So I would tend to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Instead of me asking for two board seats, let's do this. We have a seat, you have a seat, and then the other three, we're going to mutually decide on that, right? And so I didn't see the benefit of getting as many board seats for me as I could. What I wanted to do was make sure that I could guide the majority of the board seats to be independent people that we could leverage their experience, their networks, their contacts, all these things. And so I would tend to go in and structure and say, well, we're going to have five board members. Yes, you found to get one, we get one. And then the other three, we're going to mutually agree on those. And that's going to be tied to what's the vision, what's the business plan, where are we going, who do we need to help us on that journey? So at that point, I was going in there, but I would see other VCs just want to stack the board with as many, because they were viewing it as a control issue. And if you view it as a control issue, I think you've, you've missed the whole point here. This is really a, how do you support and, and develop the company? And so that was just always my perspective, was never to try to get as many seats as I could, but to shape the board in a way that made sense to accomplish what we're trying to accomplish in the company. Yeah, makes sense. The beautiful thing about your journey, the the ebbs and flows of your journey is that you've been on both sides of it. Now you're really supporting the founder as they go through this journey. Is there any other coaching, any other thing that comes to mind, any other encouragement or whatever that you you find yourself consistently giving to the founders that yeah. you're working with? Yeah, it, it's to view the board as a resource, not as a control mechanism. You know, it's, it's say, look, this is a way to get additional resource to build the team out really in a cash light way, you, you know, conserve cash instead of, you know, you, you're going to have to pay money to hire people on your executive team, your leadership team. But this is how you expand leadership team without spending cash. So think of it as a resource to help you get where you want to get, not as a control mechanism that's being imposed on you. But if you leave it, it will end up being feeling like it's a control mechanism getting imposed on you by investors. So this is why I say get ahead of the game. Think about it as as you're building out your team, this is part of building out your team, as opposed to I'm going to wait and have the investor tell me what to do. I was like, well, why? Why would you do that? You can get to design your leadership team here, including the board, as opposed to sitting there waiting to be told, you know, how I'm going to get control. doesn't make any sense to me. So that, that, that I think is the biggest one. People, they don't understand why it's important to set up a board. They go, well, I own the majority of the company. I run the company. You know, that's just, I don't get it. Well, let's understand, you know, take that word accountability. What does that look like? Well, accountable, be accountable every month for your financials and your operational metrics to the board. Be accountable every three months for how we're doing against our strategic plan. Every year, 
recraft or add a year to your strategic plan with the board be accountable so there's a you know embrace that accountability yeah because it'll really help the business and, and produce great better results yeah yeah you can't do it alone there's no purpose in being a lone ranger especially if you've got a big vision for your product or or what what you want to do with your team so mark your addition to this conversation is so valuable and your addition to our team and what you work with. And we'll link your contact information in the description of the, this episode so that if people want to reach out to you and need some support as they start thinking about governance and finance, um, there is no better resource in my opinion. So I really appreciate you. This has been clear, helpful for me. Well, Chad, it's always great to, to chat with you. And uh, yeah, happy to support anyone who's uh, interested in finding out more. Great, bye-bye everybody. Thanks. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. As a heads up, every Friday we post a Cliff Notes version of that week's conversation with all the highlights in under five minutes. Check that out for a quick and powerful reminder of the principles discussed. I hope this conversation has been valuable to you. If it has, the greatest compliment you could pay us is sharing it with somebody who could use it. Thanks so much for listening and until next week, bye-bye everybody. Bye-bye everybody.